0: This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda and author of the latest book on Yogananda. More about that in our discussion. Uh, our guest today, uh, Kamala Kapoor, she has been studying Rumi for over 20 years. In her new book, Rumi Tales of the Spirit, uh, Kamala brings us a retelling that conveys Rumi's deep insight on the human condition. Uh, fascinating stuff. We want to get into it, and I want to forgive our listeners. I uh, ask for forgiveness from our listeners because my voice is a little off tonight, So, but <laughs> Phil can always carry the ball where I can't. So uh, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Uh, Kamala,
2: before we start talking about Rumi, uh, let's talk about you a little bit. Um, give our listeners a sense of who you are, what your own spiritual path has been like, and what brought you to your passion for Rumi?
1: Well, um, my I would say it, my spiritual training started really early. I don't want to use the word training. I, I, I think I would much rather use the word love uh, because my father was a very... Um, a spiritual man, my mother, less so, though she is one of the many 16th um, generation descendants of Guru Nanak, who's the founder of oh, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Sikh faith. Mm-hmm. So, um. I um, I wanted to um, uh, to uh, one of uh, the now the Sikh faith uh, the Sikh holy book is very eclectic uh, in its wisdom. It contains um, songs and hymns and wisdom from uh, not just the Sikh gurus. There were ten of them, but they also from Sufi saints um, like um, uh, you know Kabir.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, Kabir is very much a part of the Sikh holy book which is called the Sri Guru G- Granth Sahib. We've got Hindu mystics and saints in it as well. So when we bow down to the holy book, we bow, we're bowing down to wisdom for, from wherever we can get it and from uh, um, uh, from spiritual learning wherever we can get it. So when I started writing i um I started off uh, writing stories I'm basically a storyteller with a with a spiritual bent um because I think that stories convey uh, wisdom in an embodied sense it, it's not just um uh, spiritual learning in the abstract, but it's embodied, it's concrete, you see its processes um, in uh, the lives of the characters and the stories and what happens to them. So I started with with a Hindu tradition in a book called Ganesha Goes to Lunch. Yeah, I want to know about that you know, and and uh, really enjoyed exploring my Hindu roots because Sikhism came out of Hinduism as well as um, the, the mystical tradition of Islam. And so, um, and after I'd finished the book from um, the Hindu tradition, I wrote another book on Rumi called um, uh, J- uh, Rumi, tales from the silk road that was in 2009 and in between rumi this is my second book on rumi the tales of the spirit is my second book i wrote two books from the sikh tradition mm. one of them was called the singing guru and the second is called into the great heart it's a series um from the Sikh saga, um, the Sikhs have a, a very rich tradition of stories mm. so i'm hoping i'm 70 years old but i'm hoping to write another five of those books good good so uh, so you know so it was my search for um uh, for a common, the common roots of all spirituality that led me to Rumi. And as with Rumi and all my other material, it sort of came my way. It was sort of, I would say, given to me um, um, as a gift um, because I write to explore uh, about life, about spirituality, about myself, and so, so it, it's my exploration that um you know, in my explora- exploration I happened upon Rumi and just fell in love with him uh, he has written, um I call him my, my ghost lover actually <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, like
1: all look. traditions, like
0: Go yes. Ahead. But go I, I had ahead. a question. Uh, I wanted to just interrupt for a minute. Uh, Rumi, I believe, was uh, 13th century. Uh, uh, was he popular right from that early stage of, during his life, or did he become more popular after that?
2: I think
1: so. I, you know, from the many references in his six volumes, I mean, he's he's written tomes. I can gather that he got a lot of criticism for what he said. You know, because he was so radical um, in his time uh, that he did get criticism, and he addresses that criticism in his in his uh, volumes um, uh, called the Matnavi. Um And but as with all our guides, he has grown over the years uh, you know we can we know that he was he's even relevant uh, very relevant today as well, so his popularity has grown and and it's going to continue to grow even I mean, if I, you, know, you
0: know if I could follow up what, what why was he considered radical in his day? what was it in his teaching in his tell, storytelling? that uh, was uh, uh, different than mainstream thinking?
1: Well, you know, anybody who claims that we are a part of God, you know, that we are, in fact, we do, in fact, embody the Godhood, once we have taken the journey to discover ourselves, to discover our roots, we... Uh, the journey really is to discover our godhood. I mean, why else would we make this tremendously difficult introspective journey into ourselves if it wasn't for an ultimate um, aim? And the aim is to see that we contain God, and in containing God, and and I just want to uh, clarify what I mean by God, because the word has been used so loosely um, that, You know, I don't mean the Islamic Judeo-Christian God as a figure, uh, you know, way up in the sky and a beard, that sort of patriarchal and uh, authoritarian and tells us how to be with all these injunctions and prescriptions. Um, By God, I mean the entire matrix of existence, Mm. you know. Everything that we are a part of and everything that's a part of us and everything that exists is a part of us, and we are a part of
2: it. So you're saying that Rumi, with his mystical uh, universalist uh, orientation, ran up against the prevailing um, religious authority of his time, much as people like him have in other cultures and other times. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, he uh,
1: radicals, uh, you know, sort of buck this orthodox system and uh, bring, they're like Prometheus, they bring bring light to us um, from the darkness that um, orthodoxy can imprison us in.
2: Right. Uh, Um, Two questions, uh, uh, if you wouldn't mind. One, uh, most of our listeners would be familiar with Rumi as this, the great uh, mystic poet of Sufism um, and have probably read uh, some of his work, if, or at least, you know, read some of the, the more popular quotes from his work. Um, it may be surprising for, to them to know that he was a storyteller as well as a poet. Um, So I'd like you to address Rumi, the storyteller, but also many people may not know much about Rumi, uh, the sort of basic biography of Rumi, where he lived, when he was, who he was. Can you give us a, a very brief sort of biographical sketch and then tell us about the stories?
1: yes um and, uh, Rumi was born in the 13th century his dates are like 1207 to 12, uh, 1273 and he was born into a noble family he studied he was a scholar studied jurisprudence um, in his 30s um, he he met um, um a fellow called Shamsuddin Shams, as he's known, he who was a wandering mystic in his sixties, and it was a very intense, passionate relationship.
2: And, and, and we should, if I may, uh, explain that Rumi was uh, what was then called Persian.
1: He was born in what he, uh, in 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 Balk, which was uh, Persia, but he lived in Turkey. Mm and um uh, you know he he's at the very corner uh, w- uh, at the very cusp of where the East meets the West, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, in his um in his writings he is he covers stories from the islamic and the judeo christian traditions as well there are stories about moses and Muhammad, and there's uh, stories about jesus as well hmm. um and he reviews them all he is um like i said very modern um, in, in that way um so his relationship with Shams ended a few years later. Uh, he was uh, Shams was killed, and uh, you know we don't know whether it was a physical or a metaphysical relationship. And I don't think it really matters because mm-hmm. you know all sorts of love. Uh, you know, love is on a continuum. You know, we experience all sorts of love, and uh, from the material and the physical to to the divine and to the spiritual. So. And uh, after this, uh, this terrific wound that was delivered to Rumi, uh, poetry started pouring out from him. And his writing is, is absolutely threaded through uh, with a message that all our tragedies and all our difficulties are gifts in disguise. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what my commentaries on the stories in the book um, uh, emphasize. Um, uh, you know s- sweet are the uses of adversity um, mm-hmm. Shakespeare said that too um, so I also knew uh, Rumi as a poet and I was very pleasantly surprised when I started reading his books that he was a master storyteller hmm. uh, and the only reason he wasn't better known as a storyteller is because um he, because of the manner in which he told his stories, he is so vol- voluminous and so um, abundant in his thinking that what he does is he'd start telling you a story and then he'd think of something else and he'd go off into a discourse. Oh. On that part of the story, and sometimes he won't pick up the thread of the story till a hundred pages later. Oh. Sometimes, it, sometimes they span like three volumes of his books. So it was a, a, an intense labor of love for me to to pick the threads out and to develop the stories for a modern audience. And his his stories are, being a storyteller, they just fit right in with my agenda for storytelling and spirituality. And Rumi was a perfect mix for both of those.
0: Could, could I ask you, Kamla, uh, do you remember the first poem of Rumi that you read and, and were you immediately drawn to him? Did you feel a connection uh, or was it something that came in time?
1: Well, it, it I was browsing through my husband's um uh, your library when I moved in with him after our wedding and I, I saw the six volumes and um, I, um, I, I opened one, I'd heard of Rumi, I didn't know much about him, I opened it and I read the first line and the first line was listen to the reed how mm-hmm. it tells a tale complaining of separation saying ever since I was parted from the reed bed my lament hath caused man and woman to moan. So, I mean, I was just totally hooked, you know. Mm. I, I mean, I was hooked through the heart because I, I I believe with him that we have been, part of our suffering in life is because we have been separated from our matrix mm-hmm. by whatever, by mm you know um, um you know rumi also talks about the fall from paradise um which is again a separation so uh, in in indian mythology also you know shiva and shakti were one at one time and they mm-hmm. were they were severed uh, very cruelly and so this was you know i i felt i'd written a, a a book of poetry on Krishna and his flute, and I had written stories about Krishna, and Ganesha goes to lunch. So here I was listening to the flute again, you know, from mm. a from a different tradition, and it just totally engaged me, body and soul. Mm-hmm. and um, and and you know, and he picks up the metaphor of the float flute as he goes along, and uh, you know that all our suffering is based upon the separation, and our peace lies in reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and then, of course, he makes peace also with this with separation um, by saying things like, you know, we are as the flute, and the music in us is from thee. You know, even Mm. our moaning, even our suffering is, uh, you know, we are as a harp and you strike us. The lamentation is not from us, but yours. So ultimately he surrenders every part of the human condition to this being, if you will call it, uh, or this energy and power that pervades and suffers. Uses everything. Um, so it, it, um, I was very taken by him and it took me many years, uh, many years to go through his books to uh, extract what I needed, um, from it. And I, I would say I've only culled about 10% of him, maybe even less. Wow.
2: Did you read, uh, did you work with, um, Rumi's writing in the original language, which I assume is Farsi, or did you go work with uh, English translation?
1: I I worked with the English translation. I with, by Reynolds, who is um, um, a great translator um, of of Rumi. It's uh, his translation is a bit archaic um, because he was writing, you know, earlier in the century and uses a lot of the and thous but that doesn't um, you know that doesn't uh, put me off in the least because mm-hmm. um, um, I find uh, this vocabulary um, quite soothing and quite prevalent in the old text and most of our spiritual texts are mm-hmm. are are old, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. they have they have passed the, the test of centuries, and they still hold up. And, and I like I like thee and thou because it's 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 a different pronoun that we don't really use very mm-hmm. often, which is uh, which at once establishes the context, of the dialogue, which is sacred.
2: And in in uh, Rumi' Tales of the Spirit, did you retell? stories of his or did you write commentary or both on stories?
1: Well, you know, I'd written uh, the first book that came out in 2009 was 30 stories, just plain stories Mm -hmm. uh, from the Mahnavi that I had developed because sometimes, you know, Rumi is uh, notoriously... kind of, um, what would I call him, a delinquent. (laughs) I don't really want to use the word. But, you know, he'll tell you a story and he won't really end it. And it's such a great story that Mm. you want to find an end. Sometimes I've had to invent endings, you know. Ah. I've had to invent names. I've had to invent settings and, and develop them for a modern audience because we are from a different time and we want our stories to show us um, you know the events and the characters. Mm-hmm. So those were thirty, and the, and the second book uh, that's coming out now are only twelve stories followed by twelve commentaries. I've always wanted to do the book, this book. Uh, even when I was writing the first book. So when the opportunity arose for me to uh, write the commentaries, I kind of jumped at it and I I finished the commentaries in a record time, which is very rare for me because I've uh, no, been known to spend 40 years on a book. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> you know. Well, well uh, we can almost say the same of Phil uh, on occasion. Uh. Or it seemed that way. Uh, no, I'm kidding there. But uh, Kamala, I wanted to uh, also ask, is Rumi... Uh, Universally accepted through in in the world of Islam, or are there sects or aspects of Islam that uh, do not accept him? Well, they there are. Um many sects
1: of Islam that would reject him and reject the Sufis. The Sufis believe in music, uh-huh. which Islam bans. Mm-hmm. The Sufis believe in dancing to the divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Su- the Sufis are heretical in the sense that they say, uh, you know, uh, there's a wonderful story in the in my first book about Bayezid, who, uh, you know, who goes into these trances and says, "I'm God," and and the the orthodox Muslim says, "That's that's blasphemy." So, mm-hmm. um, he says, "Well, next time i I write this, you know, I say something blasphemous like this, bring your swords and plunge them into me." So they do that, and as soon as he starts off on his, "I'm God," you know, "I'm divine," they pl- start plunging their swords in him and they discover that the, they're plunging themselves the swords in themselves and <laughs> bears is unharmed mm. you know uh, because you know once you, you you see the divinity in yourself you uh, you become deathless like the divine you know you, be, you, you gain at least a few of the
2: attributes of divinity.
1: So all I, our guides are divine in that way.
2: To follow up on that, are there any places in the current Islamic world where Rumi uh, has a high stature and is revered, or where Sufism is openly practiced? And I know the, the uh, I, in, in India, the Sufi... Uh, tradition there is alive and well, and I know people living in America who are from Iran who love Rumi and Hafiz, uh, but I don't know if that would be acceptable in Iran.
1: Oh, the Persians they call themselves Persians yes. not uh-huh. Iranians because right. if they come over here, you know, because Iran yes. has all these uh, they are, I mean, he is a part of their life and they quote him in Persian, you know um I mean, I heard from somebody that the people on the streets will quote him, you know mm-hmm. I, he he is. Uh, he has qu- uh, quotes for 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 every occasion and he's mm-hmm. so rich in what he says and, you know, just one of his quotes can be a portal to a different realm of uh, existence and experience and perspective because that's ultimately what, what all our guides give us. They give us a perspective from which to view the human condition, and from which, and and by reading the guys, by reading these six books, you know, you come away with um, your thought quite transformed. Uh, they're, they're, you know, most of us go through life with uh, thinking in a default manner, in a very autonomous sort of way. Um, we we don't stop like Socrates say, you know, examine your life. The unexamined life is not worth living. And so this is what the guides do. They teach us how to examine our lives and to examine the source of our thinking. Uh, not just, you know, because our thinking can lead us astray. Uh, guru Nanak, the first guru of the Sikhs, says, if you conquer your mind, you conquer the world. So, um, it's it, 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 how do you even begin to uh, get a grip on life with its ups and downs? How do you begin to negotiate it and uh, by changing your thinking? and these guides, uh, so many of them, we're so fortunate on this planet by being blessed by them from every source, from every tradition, you know. Um, and, um, I mean, look at the, the Song of Solomon or uh, the Psalms, you know, you can find it anywhere. and Or the gospel um, tradition of Christianity, you know. Um, uh, what are they called? The Gnostic Gospels, right. mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so, um, yes, uh, Rumi is extremely rich, and I hope that I have conveyed some of that richness both in the stories and in the commentaries that follow in which I try to relate the stories to our lives now.
2: Very good.
0: Okay. Phil, do you have any final questions for Kamala?
2: I'd like to know uh, from Kamla what her favorite story of Rumi's is and why.
0: Good question
2: well you know
1: there it's a very hard question i'm sure it is a great question but let me tell you i was just thinking about this there's the story about um a clever fox um and a wolf are very hungry so they decide to go to the lion and of course all these the lion and is is of course a metaphor for the higher uh, spirit, and so they they make this they scheme, you know. And Rumi is really against the scheming part of human nature uh, that doesn't kind of surrender to um, to the God uh, to God, and so uh, so uh, the fa- they, they, the 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 lion, of course, obliges. They go into the mountains. They kill a fat ox and a mountain goat and a boar. And uh, the, the lion says to the wolf first, he says, uh, wolf, um, divide this amongst the three of us. So the wolf thinks and he says, you know, being extremely fair, he says, oh, Lion, you can have the mountain ox. I will take the mountain, I will take the wild boar, and the fox here will take the uh, the the boar. Sounds very fair. I thought it was very fair when I was reading the story. But what does the mountain lion do? He turns around and he rips the fox to shreds with the words, when I am here, how can you speak of you and yours? So then he turns to the fox and he says, you fox divide this amongst us. And of course the fox is very clever and he's learned his lesson. So he says to the lion, he says, the the wild ox, O oh, lion is yours for breakfast. The boar is yours for lunch. And the mountain goat is yours for dinner. And the lion says to the fox, Oh, fox, where did you learn this wisdom? And he says, from the unfortunate example of the wolf.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? And he says, and the lion turns around, says to the fox, "Since you have become me, since you have given me your all, I'm giving you all the kill."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, this it reminds me of that story by uh, that poem by Francis Thompson. If you if you are familiar with it, it's called "The Hound of Heaven." Um, it's it's a wonderful wonderful poem, uh, and um, um, he, uh, and and it ends in a beautiful way. It you know he the Hound of Heaven is chasing the poet through labyrinths and abysses, and of course the poet doesn't want to turn to to the Hound of Heaven because he's afraid he's afraid that if I, if he surrenders everything to God, there would be nothing left of him. You know, but he he goes through his whole life, you know, and all the suffering incumbent upon living. And then he and the hound of heaven finally catches up to him and says, um, and the hound says to him, Whom wilt thou find to love, ignoble thee, save me, save only me? All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seekest. It in my arms. Hmm. All which thy child's mistake fancies is lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. And, of course, and, and, and the last lines of the poems are, again, the hound of heaven speaking, uh, 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 you know, the, that all his sorrows and suffering, the poet's sorrows and suffering were, he says, um, was the gloom of the shadow of his hand outstretched caressingly. And wonderful. And, and and he finishes by saying, "Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee who dravest me." Wonderful done. way
2: to end the uh, conversation, and it gives our listeners something to immediately Google. Right, Hound of Heaven. We'll have to do that. Thank you, Thank so, you much, so much. Thank you so
0: much, and again, the book. book. Uh, Rumi, Tales of the Spirit. And uh, uh, we, we look forward to having you back on again sometime. Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Phil and Dennis.